Okay. Right, so welcome to our second, um, the Young Masters. We've got some old masters here too, some old friends have joined us. <laughs> so I'm here with, um, first of all, our, our guest this evening, Charles Coulomb in Austria. Yeah. Good evening, Charles. Thank you. Good to be here. And Peter Knuckles in Manchester. Thank you. Good to be here. And then we have um, Philip Marshall, Antoine Berthier, Antoine Bio, and Charles-Éric Laurent. Say hello, gents. Hello, gents. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ouch. We're going to be at this all evening. So um, we thought this evening we'd talk, we, we'd talk about nostalgia. Give us a word of wisdom, Peter, about nostalgia. Well, it's actually what it used to be. You can say that. <laughs> do you think, do you know, a few years ago, I was in Ireland and visiting an auntie of mine, a Dominican sister, and she, she's 90 and she's still registered as a psychologist. And so she's been a psychologist for 50, for about 50 something years. And for those, for, for all of those 50 years, she's been writing the psycholo psychological reports for young men applying for the priesthood, for the Archdiocese of Dublin. And completely lucid, this lady. And I said to her, I said, could you tell me about, um, you know, what, what the young men are like these days who are applying for the priesthood? And she said, oh, well, they're, they're a lot more intelligent. <laughs> I said, oh, that's interesting. And she said, yes, they're also more conservative. And I said, um, is that a pathology? And she said, well, it can, it can be. <laughs> What's your take on that, Charles? I, you know, I missed it. You froze on me. Uh, did I freeze? Oh, yes. did well, I freeze for a long time? It was enough that I didn't hear what the nun said. So I said, to, I said to her, um, the nun said that... Um, you asked it was a pathology. It, yeah, that I asked it was a pathology, and she said, just said it can be. As opposed to what? Well... I mean, being, just being stupid? <laughs> Which is not yeah, a pathology. Why, 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 are, why are people nostalgic? Is it a reaction against something, or is it, a, is it something... Why? I think it's I think it's a combination of things. It's not just one element. And and also there are a couple of different kinds of nostalgia. Actually, I'd say well, there are three, believe it or not. Uh, but before I touch on the three, I'll answer your first question. Uh, number one, usually people feel nostalgic if the present isn't really tremendous. If things aren't exact, if things aren't enjoyable or pleasant in the immediate. Uh, then, of course, your mind wanders back to uh, better days, supposedly. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is also fear of the future. We know the past because it happened. We don't know what's happening in the future. We don't know what, what's waiting around the corner. So I think it's fair to say that nostalgia, in a sense, is almost a mental defense against both an unpleasant present and a, uh, a fearsome future. Mm -hmm. But... So, so it is a reaction against bad stuff. Yes, but there's more to it than that. Uh, it is certainly, certainly bad stuff strengthens it. But I think there's a, a more positive element also involved. 
And that is summed up, I think, by one word, yearning, which allows me to look at the three kinds of nostalgia uh, so far as I've arranged them in my head. The first is personal nostalgia. You know, ah, back when I was in school and a real chick magnet and the king of the football team and blah, 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 blah. Uh, one of those didn't apply to me. I'll leave to you to figure out which it was. But uh, nevertheless, that's your personal past, which if it was pleasant or if you see it as pleasant now, and, and, and also remember that very often your perception of your past changes as you get older. So for instance, there might've been people you were at school with whom you really didn't care for. 40 years later, you may find you really enjoy them now. Mm -hmm. And that, there are a lot of reasons for that, but it happens. But doesn't, doesn't that suggest, Charles, that there's something faulty about our memory, that oh, really, yeah. the memories improve with time. We, you know, people who were objectionable, objectively, um, we, we remember them fondly because our, our, our memory has kind of sifted out the bad and just retained the good. It's, it's partly that, but it's also the fact that you and they were together in the, in the Garden of Eden, and each in your separate ways have had to endure adulthood, marriage, children, jobs, etc., and getting their take on the same drivel you've had to deal with can also alter your perception of them. And then there's also the fact that they may not have been object objectively annoying when you were young. Or they could have changed, or you could have changed. But anyway, so that's, that's the one kind is your personal past, nostalgia for that. There's the second kind, which is nostalgia for a past you never had, you never knew. Uh -huh. Uh, young fogey the, the golden age. Exactly, the golden age. Young fogeydom is based very deeply in that. You know, uh, my golly, if only we were at Oxford in the 1920s, everything would be great. Or maybe it was Paris during the Belle Epoque. Or maybe it was Schoenbrunn under Maria Theresia. Or maybe, well, you get the idea. The golden age. Is, 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 this, is this nostalgia the preserve of old men? I mean, you seem to suggest that being old means being sad, and you look back to your youth and think, I was happier then, I had fewer things to worry about. We've got some young men here. Um, are, you, are you guys nostalgic? Well, I am personally nostalgic of my youth, and, and I am a reactionary, so I am nostalgic of the, of the past of society altogether. I am, yeah, I, nostalgic, nostalgia would be the, the, the base of all my vision of the world and, and myself. You have you have two aspects of nostalgia. You have yeah. this this one that is very that is very much about remembering good old days without necessarily them being better than today. And in the meantime you also have this nostalgia about uh, um, you know it was better before clearly it was better the society was in the best shape. Yeah. I wish I was there. This is interesting and it's I think it's also interesting to think about the social perception of um, nostalgia. Back in the days, more than 300 years ago, nostalgia was, um, as, it, as, as the etymology can prove, was seen as a um, mental disorder. And if you had nostalgia, then you, there was something wrong with you, okay? It was a disastrous thing. 
And um, I think this is uh, logos and um, something like algos from Greek means ache. So you really had a disease. You, you felt ill when you had nostalgia. And it's interesting to see that today nostalgia is sometimes seen as a more um, elaborated thought. And, you know, you're nostalgic. Oh, well, you can think about the past. But, but, it, but, it, but isn't that etymology a little bit ironic? It's a bit like being lovesick. I mean, being lovesick isn't really pejorative. It is painful. Mm-hmm. It is a kind of a sickness. I mean, homesickness, all of these kind of things are, are by analogy to, to, to illnesses. The Portuguese have a word for for this, the saudade. Yeah, the saudade, yeah. Um, where you, you, just, you just feel there's something wrong and you can't put your finger on it. But it's what you said, Charles, yearning. Yeah, a yearning. And that that's why I, well... I'll, I'll mention the third, and then you know I'll explain why I don't think nostalgia is really a bad thing at all. Quite the contrary. Uh, basically, the third kind of nostalgia is for something that never was. Uh, fantasy literature is based on it. You know, mm-hmm. half the Renaissance fairs and uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, Middle Earth didn't exist, but in the immortal words of, uh, of uh, oh gosh, I can't think of his name, uh, the, the man who wrote The Last Unicorn, he said, if I could, I'd be there like a shot. And that's true for a lot of people, a lot of different things. Yearning. Ultimately, what I, what I think nostalgia really is, although it can be a defense against unpleasantry, it's a yearning really for heaven. Is it a yearning for heaven or a yearning for, for Eden or a bit of each? Both. I mean, remember, these are not things that are, we, we don't intellectualize them anyway. So they're, they're, they're kind of irrational, although they make perfect sense. But yes, a yearning for Eden, but a yearning for heaven, which in, the, in our experience might as well be the same thing. Mm. They're not theologically speaking, but in terms of our subjective view. We've, we've got, Charlie Rieke has got, has got a point here, but can I just throw something out for Peter to think about? Uh, Peter, was Newman a nostalgic? Have a think about that. We might come back to you in a minute when you've had a chance to think about it. Yeah, well, I could say, Char- yeah, I could say something about that. Think about, think about it for a few minutes, Charlie Rieke. Well, I was going to say, uh, I was thinking of the song Yesterday by the Beatles, and I know you two are a fine Englishman. And um, well, I thought you must well, know the One song. of them's American. Okay, well. But he's English at heart. You must know the song. And uh, what's striking in this uh, song is one of the lyrics is, Oh, I long for yesterday. So you long for yesterday. Ah. And when you think about it, it's while um, nostalgia is clearly defined as looking back to the past, um, there's a bit of hope for nostalgia. I mean, there's something that you really want to happen again. And I think it's interesting to bring out this point of um, maybe we could talk about how hope is uh, characterized in nostalgia. There are some, I heard that, um, um, the podcast on France Culture or France Inter or something, but let's, not, let's forget the name, what radio was for the It can be a media that people like. Um, at least among us, but the point, 
was very interesting. The point was that nostalgia was could be a remedy against melancholia, which is a worse, much, much, much worse form of um, spiritual illness because melancholia can destroy you. Nostalgia can maybe hold you back, but it cannot destroy you. Mel well, melancholia was a deadly sin. According to St. John Cassian, it was one of the deadly sins when he had eight in his list. Sadness. Acidia, acidia and melancholia yeah. are not very far from each other. So, so for the 19th century, for the Romantics, for instance, nostalgia can be a way to materialize melancholia, which is objectless, whereas nostalgia able you, enables you to focus your on ease. I think we're moving close to something that maybe Mr. Bureau wants to talk about. No, but what is that? Well, maybe you were going to say something about Spain. I heard we spoke about Portugal. Just a point, an interesting point about Portugal is that Portugal, the greatness of Portugal and the lost, the lost uh, golden age was never a was never a dream or a fantasy. It was very real. And Portugal was it was a colonial power at the time, and their they sailors were were feared and, and mighty all over the the oceans, and they even beat the Ottomans. They, they, they conquered Brazil, they conquered Angola, they had cities in, in, in India, and they lost all of, the, all of that. And today they're, they're a poor country, struggling country. So nostalgia can be, can, can be it's, not, it's not entirely invented, it's not made up. Mm. And I think that the, what we lost, we actually lost something from the past. And, and most of the world did, most, most countries, most people. I wonder, I wonder, was there nostalgia in the ancient world? Mr. Marshall, can you cast yes. any light on that? Uh, yes, there, there is certainly, um, both in the sort of the, the macro and the micro sense, um, that they, they have the mythology of the age of, age of gold, age of silver, age of bronze, um, looking back through the different ages to, to the, the greatest uh, at first. Um, but also on, on, the, on the micro level in, in poetry, in uh, Virgil uh, and Ovid, they often talk about, oh, it was, you know, it was better before. Um, certainly, you guess, in the early, um, the Republicans under the early emperors, oh, look how good the Republic was before. And although, you know, they, they pass over the fact that just prior to, to Augustine, was prior to Augustus and just prior to maybe Caesar even, it, it was starting to collapse into a bit of a mess anyway, um, as a system. But they're, they're always looking back um, to it, but often as a way of looking forward. Um, there's often discussion, nonsensically really, of um, Virgil as a Christian prophet, uh, because he he talks about the ages, the age of gold, age of silver, age of bronze, and then uh, talks about the, the, the Jupiter returning to bring it back. Um, some people say, oh, well, maybe this was a, a foretaste of, of Christ, you know, a revelation given to a pagan. Um, probably more likely he's just buttering up Augustus. Um, but he's got that idea about a new person is going to come and we're going to be able to, to get back. And I think that's a, a truth that uh, nostalgia in the, in the grand sense uh, has a very powerful force, sometimes very, very negative personally, but, but often very positive 
um, in a general sense. Uh, in what does his, it give? Does it give society hope at a difficult time? Yes, yes, and I was, I was going to say in uh, Civilization: Personal View by Kenneth Clark, mm. absolutely wonderful uh, series of of, uh, of television shows. Um, he often talks about civilization needing a an energy, an energy, a focus, a drive, and this is often given by a few individuals uh, uh. at a certain period of time, and the often I think if we look back, those moments of extreme energy, the waves of energy that come out are driven by uh, nostalgia. We can, if we, if we sort of go back from today, we can look at the nostalgia of the early uh, 20th century Tories that wanted to, to take us back, uh, they failed, but they wanted to take us back to, to more agricultural way of life. Um, you can look a little bit before that, the Gothic revivalists, uh, an amazing uh, power in, in, in the church in England, at least, um, building beautiful buildings, giving some life back to what had obviously been lost or crushed um, during the, 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 the penal times. The Renaissance, what is that except a nostalgia for the classical world? Mm. Um, the, the Carolingians, again, what's that except a nostalgia for? Uh, for the classical world, the pre-barbarian world that they, they realised that they're sort of part of. Um, where they're these big waves of energy that do something special that drive us forward, often are saying, look how good it was, let's let's try and recreate that in a special it, way. It, even if it's a bit idealised, it still could be a force for good. Well, it, it needs we, to be idealised. Otherwise it doesn't work as a... A drive, as it doesn't a, provide a, yeah. the energy. We, we, we need to welcome Robert Ash, who, who taught here for, for 10 years. And we've got, um, he's friends with Peter, friends with Charles Coulomb, friends linking up again. It's nice to see you again, Robert. Nice to be back. Good evening. Do, do you remember Charles Eric Nora? Was he here when you were here? Was he ah, do you remember Charles Eric, Mr. Ash? I remember the name Charles Eric. I'm not sure which one he was now. <laughs> I think you, you taught him to box. <laughs> you might have boxed his ears a few times. <laughs> anyway, you, um, I think, I, I guess you and Peter would have something to say about nineteenth um, century nostalgia. If you've got something to chip in, Peter, about Newman yeah. and nostalgia, and then Robert will talk about Lionel Johnson. Maybe <laughs> I remember that. Uh, yeah, about Newman. Lionel Johnson. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, personal. What Charles was saying personal nostalgia um this idea you remember what he said about snapdragon on the wall in trinity in the apologia he goes into great detail the memory of his early childhood at ham and things about his childhood there's all that there and the very fact he spent so much time going over his old letters renewing them reviewing them so that that, that fits this idea of and also a great sense of the importance of place, the genius loci, which is very important in the whole Oxford Newman story, and that sort of place such a part. So that's a kind of extension of a kind of um, nostalgia of a certain era in the church. And of course, the early church in particular, you almost on level, um, going beyond personal um, nostalgia here to recreate something of that witness of the early church 
in the 19th century and then to a lesser extent the Caroline era of the 17th century so he had these periods of history which meant a great deal so there's a lot more one can say but there is certainly an element though interestingly he was less enamored by the the medieval and, and the gothic revival you know that famously differed with Pugin on that and he preferred the classical but um that's another story but also just thinking also Ferdy about this how you know the idea of the Edwardian summer and how important mm. that is that resonates doesn't it was it really like that and the cataclysm of the the great war of course made it seem to that coming generations um and that idyllic period which may not necessarily have been the case living through it and you get these periods of cataclysm as Charles said you know when this can trigger particular uh times of crisis and now again what we're going through now it makes it more people more amenable to a kind of nostalgia but personally if we if we come out of this covid madness i think we'll all be nostalgics yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I could well imagine younger people writing things about, oh, that last lost summer of 2019. <laughs> Which Robert, when you and I read it, we'll be like, what? <laughs> what did I case? It was just the same as 2018. <laughs> Robert, have you got anything, any, any, anything else to say about maybe in defense of the Gothic uh, revival and Pugin and so on, or... Well, not not off the top of my head. I mean, one of the things that that comes to mind is that uh, it's it's characteristic of critics of the nineteenth century. I mean, critics of Victorianism uh, to um, uh, to to decry the eclectic character, especially in, in architecture um, of uh, of the period, to to accuse it of not being particularly original, for example. Um, so that there was a great deal of neo-Renaissance and neo-Romanesque and above all neo-Gothic architecture, uh, which is what we see as characteristically Victorian. But of course, the bizarre thing about this is that um, the Renaissance, of course, which is generally regarded as, as one of the pinnacles of, of world cultural achievement, was preoccupied with emulating the Greeks and Romans. Um, and uh, the same thing is true, for instance, of the great revival period in German letters, where Goethe and Schiller were preoccupied with, in their own way, uh, in their own uh, thoroughly imperfect way, in the sense of thoroughly inauthentic way, of emulating the Greeks and Romans, especially the Greeks in Goethe's case. Um, so frequently, uh, nostalgia um, reflects, I think, uh, a genuine aesthetic impulse um, and creates a catalyst for original work because neo-Gothic uh, work is, of course, not really Gothic work. I mean, obviously, it's not literally, but it's it not even it's not even uh, you know stylistically pure Gothic. There's, there are characteristic Victorian notes in it which make it you know recognizable, instantly recognizable as something very much of its age. So it found the age found its expression, and it found its expression in in looking to the past frequently. Um, so I think in that respect, uh, it's a little bit like the, the phenomenon of the ghetto. The ghetto is a very problematic and restrictive thing. I mean, an intellectual ghetto, a cultural ghetto, let's say the Catholic ghetto of the preconciliar years and so on, as it's commonly described. Um, but ghettos are useful places to sort of inspire oneself and to, and to, to uh, recharge one's energies as long as there's life outside the ghetto as well. 
Um, so in a certain sense... We, we, we have such a ghetto here in Japan. Robert and I share an interest in the, in, in the fin de siècle and the <coughs> Belle Epoque in France as well. We have somebody here who's um, particularly interested in Baudelaire. And um, <coughs> he's a Normalien. He's in, uh, studying in the École Normale uh, Supérieure of Lyon got a licence in philosophy. And uh, <coughs> we were talking about spleen mm. just after dinner, as you do. <laughs> um, so Antoine, he might, he might want to talk in French. Do you want to speak in French? Yeah, and no, no, we get Charles, Charles Arique to translate. Yeah. Or maybe Charles Coulomb could translate. A uh, Canadien. Maybe it's a way to resolve the dichotomy la nostalgie et le passéisme, donc ce problème de savoir si on est davantage accroché à un passé, à un état stable du passé, si vraiment on est dans un état de, de regret, de, de jouissance ambivalente pour, pour un objet dont on jouit parce qu'il ne nous appartient plus, mais on jouit quand même du, du retour de son souvenir. Charles, do you want to underline what is this dichotomy about? Because <laughs> Antoine is going to tell us what this... The solution to the dichotomy. What's the dichotomy, Shalari? Okay. Passeism is just wanting to be in the past for the past's sake. The good old time. The good old days, yeah. And, and nostalgia is. Okay. Mm. The real question is how how do we solve um, such dichotomy that is that there is between you know, nostalgia and real uh, what could be described as passivism, passism, which would this which would be this thought that um, the past was bad. So, so that's what Robert said. Nostalgia as a cat, no, but not nostalgia as a catalyst to creativity. Yeah. Oh, peut-être. On va continuer. Du, du poète dans cette situation, c'est d'être incapable et d'être tout à fait conscient qu'on est incapable de toucher cet idéal. Et là, c'est là que crée que, à la nostalgie, cette situation assez tragique de « je sais que cette chose, je, je ressens cette chose-là, mais je suis incapable ni de la toucher, ni de l'exprimer correctement va, », va ajouter à la nostalgie, au sentiment de nostalgie, cette dimension tragique qui va la transformer en spleen, tu veux dire. Et qui la transforme en mal de vivre. Et un mal de vivre qui est esthétique, politique. Antoine was just saying that um, that the the fin de siècle nostalgic, um, whose creativity comes from his nostalgia, he looks back at this ideal, but he's conscious of the fact that he can't he can't fulfil the ideal, he can't really go back to the ideal, and that is his tragedy, and that's that's where the spleen comes in. <coughs> Right. Okay. So that, I mean, that that's also where his poetry comes from. This pain of, of of longing for this ideal, 
realizing you can't get back to it and then kind of elaborating on that. Mm. So in all, in all, et la nostalgie, c'est cette conscience, c'est ce retour assez violent, c'est le retour violent à la réalité où, après avoir été élu par la beauté, on est violemment renvoyé dans l'insuffisance et la médiocrité du monde. Okay, so he's so Antoine's characterization of nostalgia and spleen is this idea that you're kind of thrown violently back into the present and kind of uh, you have this ideal ripped away from you, you realize that you can't get back to it. But the experience, yeah, it's the, it's the sense of loss having encountered beauty. Um, yeah, like the fall of the Garden of Eden, he's saying, yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, is, could, Could 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 you say? I mean, does anybody believe in collective memory? I mean, could one say, for example, that the only way that we um, recognize the transcendental is because we've been close to them in a, in the Garden of Eden? You know, the good, the true, and the beautiful. When when we see them, it's it's almost a bit like um, pre-verbal memories or something. <laughs> you remember your what it was like to be a baby with your mother. And then sometimes in later life, something might somehow remind you of that, but you can't remember what it is, but you, you know it's good. Um, are, we, are we remembering Eden when we, when we encounter something that's beautiful, true and good? Or is that just romantic, over-romanticizing? Do, do you believe in that, Charles? Do you believe that the human race has a kind of collective memory? I do, actually. Um, I do, couldn't possibly tell you how it works, except that it must be, in a sense, the form of our DNA. The so so you so hang on a second. One of the questions I was I, I suggested to you at the beginning of this was, you know, is nostalgia is there a gene for nostalgia? <laughs> well, I, I, or is it just I, I, is it heredity or is it environment? What makes people reactionaries? I think both. I, I mean. Let's put it this way. My, my, my grandfather used to say, those of us who have lost the past are doomed to remember it. And those of us who have lost the past are doomed, are doomed to, to remember, remember it. it. <laughs> and that, now there's a certain, there's a certain uh, sense to it. I mean, uh, when I look back at my own family on both sides, they were very from disparate sources, very different people, but they all had that in common was that they came out of various lost causes. And, uh, lost causes, Charles. Now, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's a bit like, um, you know, the, the, Jack, the, the Jacobite cause, isn't it? There's a special kind of nostalgia there for, um, you know, <laughs> the underdog. I mean, and Peter, are you a bit of a Jacobite too? Oh, yeah, yeah. And Robert? I bet we're all Jacobites yeah, yeah, here. Yes, although I'm not a legitimist at the moment, anyway. Well, here's, here's the thing. Uh, if you compare, and I just did in an article, not that this is a, uh, not that this is a plug, but uh, I looked at the, the similarities between the Jacobites, the French legitimists, and you know, you're sitting there in the Vendée while we're talking about French nostalgia, mm. uh, the, the Carlists, uh, the Miguelists of Portugal, and on and on and on, 
And they all had certain things in common. Uh, usually they came from marginalized areas of their home countries. Uh, they, Brittany has much more in common than the Vendée in the south of France, where the, the counter-revolution had its strengths, I have a lot more in common with the Celtic fringe than either did with their, uh, the centers of their respective politics. Uh, and I, I think too, when, whenever you think of localism, when you think of, of uh, anyone who's deeply interested in uh, their province or their town, there's both a connection to Jacobitism, legitimism, depending on the country, and to nostalgia in general. They bought your, they bought your temps passé. Um, Robert, have you, have you got anything to say about, about legitimism? No. No, not really. I mean, I, it, it's obviously, well, I suppose the problem, the problem is that it, it involves quite a number of different things. You know, it's, it's, it, it involves a number of, of very suggestive and emotive threads woven together. Um, oh. And uh, it involves the idea of authority, of legitimate authority, of, 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 as opposed to power, as opposed to a settlement. Uh, it involves, again, a sense, obviously, of continuity, of tradition, of, lo of, of locality, um, of memory, which is extremely important. Um, mm. Because without memory, there is, uh, there is no continuity. There's no identity. Um, so what, I, what, what, what I was thinking about, particularly, was a sort of a, a motif in literature and history Mm. A, little, a little bit like the sleepers of Ephesus or uh, the return of the king or mm -hmm. uh, the return of Merlin or Arthur asleep in the mountain or the French also believe in the, the, the return of their king. And Well, the Germans have the, uh, um, as well, they have uh, Barbarossa, don't they? He's also asleep yeah. under the mountain. Sure, sure. Um, <coughs> when Arthur well, comes back. And the Messiah. No. And the Messiah. Uh, now, Robert, you you, you used to be you, when you were still are, I suppose, Jewish, yeah. and uh, convert to, convert to Catholicism from Judaism. And um, J Jewish people are pretty nostalgic, aren't they? Yes, it's it's strange because most of it's nostalgia for bad times. <laughs> <laughs> but they're the real nostalgics. The ones who are nostalgic for the bad old days. <laughs> Well, you know, that's very true. In New York, you know, when you, when you speak to these uh, old Jewish folks when I was a kid, and they'd, uh, they were always going on about the great old days in the shtetl. Mm. So, <laughs> so great... It's a bit like, <laughs> I it's like the Monty York. Python, isn't it? E yeah. when I were a lad, we lived in a matchbox. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had it lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you think you had it bad. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, and, and, the, and uh, the, that same nostalgia would be applied to the old neighborhood in New York or Boston. These, you know, run down dumpy slums. The, oh, it was wonderful. Everybody loved everybody. <laughs> we never locked our doors. And, uh, oh, well, there's nothing to steal, I guess. I don't know. Right, us old guys, we've got the young guys here. I just thought perhaps we could. Um, have you got have you got something to throw in there, Peter? You write something down. Uh, I just it just occurred to me this whole controversy over statues and memorialization. 
is quite oh, relevant. Yes. I mean, the passions that have been aroused uh, in defence of them is quite interesting. And it's just come up again in our news because the silly local devolved Welsh government has drawn up a list of what statues are going to be a kind of traffic light warning. I'm afraid Nelson and Churchill are in are even under threat, probably not Churchill, but I mean, and the Welsh government to have that power is, is extraordinary if it comes to it. But, you know, we're the Confederate, I've got friends in Richmond, Virginia, and there was a great upset. Most people couldn't express it really when they went and pulled all those it was called Monument Mile. Went yeah. there last year, and it was a great tourist attraction. They were wonderful, and it's as if they don't put the statue up for the person who did the bad things, but for something else. Why can't people get that? Do, well, do, do you do you think that we actually need we need nostalgia? We need nostalgia to think about the past. Otherwise, it would make us ill. And if if we're going to spend all our time looking at the going over the past with a fine tooth comb. We're never going to be, I mean, it's against the virtue of piety, isn't it? We're supposed to love our parents and love our country and so on. The woke warriors are wanting to go back in history and change it or whitewash it. Mm. And they try and, and even people in charge of museums are going to be doing, a, you mm. know, all sorts of things. You know, we can't feel they're safe, some of these things. And um, it's the whole attitude. I mean, Tony Blair famously said, we're a young country, and then tried to change the constitution on the back of a, didn't he, on the back of a piece of paper until he was stopped. Sure. And it was that sort of attitude now has gone further. And, um, you know, so I think it's quite significant. I think we need to hand over to the young people because um, Charles Eric, he's got something to say. Yes, go. Uh, about the, Origins of nostalgia. Um, I do think um, nostalgia can be seen as a as a shelter for the sick man that doesn't understand his presence and can't can't accept it, can't accept the change or right, thank you. the movement, the motion of society. Thank you, Charles. And this guy is he's he's homesick, we could say. He's past sick, and uh, he nostalgia is, thus becomes his shelter, and he keeps remembering, remembering, remembering. And I think you've been talking about this before, uh, whatever your name is. But um, but really, Tell me. I, I, I don't know which one. I don't know which one was talking about it, but I know you were saying something, and I thought it was really interesting to mention again. Um, yeah. But don't don't you buy at all into the idea, Charlerique, that that sometimes um, nostalgia can be a, a source of renewal, like the, the Renaissance yeah. or the Gothic revival, or or 19th century romanticism, Victor Hugo yeah, and Dickens and all this. It's not, only a, it's not only a question of whether it's useful or not, it's a question of whether it's real or not, and I think it's real. Mm. I think we're going to finish with a song. Is that okay? Hello, darkness, my open you
silence. gentlemen thank oh there's nothing like the good old days thank you Freddie. okay it's lovely to see you again peter for having me we'll do it again yeah let's do it again Last keep in touch we'll see you robert bye. all right god bless bye. god bless you all it, it you know this reminds you of the good old days bye <laughs> 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 god bless bye-bye okay. bye-bye everybody bye-bye god bless bye-bye bye-bye I thought um, this...